Welcome back to the ARM Viewpoints podcast. I'm really excited for today's episode, which is all about the technology used in the devices you use every day, from your smartphone to your TV to your tablet. As part of that discussion, we'll also dive further into mobile gaming. It's popular and it's big business. According to the 2022 Global Games Market Report, in 2021, the value of that market exceeded $180 billion. And even better news is that the technology behind mobile gaming is also advancing quickly. Our guest today to talk more about all this and much more is Paul Williamson, Senior Vice President and General Manager of ARM's client line of business. Paul's team defines the compute platform that shapes user experiences in smartphones, augmented reality and virtual reality devices, digital TVs, as well as the gaming, laptop and tablet markets. Paul previously ran security, Internet of Things and wireless businesses at Arm, and he's been involved in connected devices since the early days of Bluetooth, developing innovative products for the consumer, medical and industrial markets. Paul is a return guest to our show and we're delighted to have him here. This is his third appearance and we really ought to have an award for that. So <laughs> welcome back, Paul. Thanks, Jeff. Really good to be here again. And uh, yeah, I'm very glad to contribute. So, Paul, before we get started talking about technology, I want to do something a little different. I'm hoping we can spend a few minutes talking about you, how technology makes a difference in your life and how you like to have fun. So are you game for this? I'm, I'm game for that. That sounds good. All right. Name one technology you couldn't live without. Oh, wow. I mean, the obvious answer has to be the smartphone. But at the moment, actually, I'm uh, having a lot of fun with a new toy, which is a uh, smart robot lawnmower. Um, so when I'm out traveling on work, it's uh, looking after the backyard for me and keeping the grass under control, which is, uh, which is great. Okay, tell me about one place you'd love to live for a year. On a personal level, I, I escape once a year. It's a bit of a secret, so I'm, I'm giving it away here, but to a place in the UK called the Isles of Scilly, which is sort of off the bottom uh, west coast of little white sand islands. Um, it's remote. Hardly anyone lives there. It's a bit of uh, isolation and peace. And uh, yeah, definitely, definitely would love to go and live a full year around there. That would be exciting. Okay, now fill in the blank in this sentence. I'm happiest when I've just eaten... Uh lasagna with the kids uh, you and garfield have that in common <laughs> that's true <laughs> okay tell me one thing about you that most people don't know but would surprise them i think the one that has surprised people a little bit recently is that um as a kid i was a massive skateboard fan maybe not a big surprise for anyone who grew up in the 80s but um I still have a skateboard and I, I do go down to the skate ramp with my kids at the weekends and actually risk my uh, knees and my lower limb health by uh, continuing to have a go at it. So uh, yeah, skateboarding is a, a, a sort of slightly secret hobby of mine still. Okay, so your middle name's Tony Hawk. <laughs> Not quite. I, only in the computer games, that's for sure. <laughs> okay, so if price was no object, what would you buy? And, and I was thinking about this and I was thinking, oh, a private island. But, but I know from having watched enough James Bond movies that that never ends well. So what, what would you buy? I still really enjoy sort of engaging with the kids in, in building Lego and things like that. And um, I've just never got the time more than the money. But I think um, a massive set of the sort of robotics Lego stuff to go and do a load of automation and building, that would be a fun thing to do with them. Yeah, yeah, that would be amazing. I mean, life-size Millennium Falcon, here we come. Absolutely, yeah. Anything you could imagine, just an entire room loaded with it would be, uh, would be fantastic. So why did you first get into technology? 
Yeah, I, so I was thinking back about technology recently, and um, I think the first time it comes back to that uh, sort of, and perhaps the reason I answer around Lego as being a, a sort of hobby interest is um, when, as a kid, um, I started to build Lego. My dad, who was also into tech, actually hooked it up to what was our Acorn Atom at the time. Um, and we, we built a few robots that we could do some interesting stuff with. And um, yeah, that that is probably the first time I started to get an idea of what technology was and certainly programming and processes and the rest of it. I mean, I was quite young for getting into that and um, very fortunate to have a tech savvy family who could uh, introduce me. But that, that was probably the earliest sort of awareness of technology. And, and what inspired you to first join ARM and how long have you been there? Oh, I've been at ARM now for coming up to uh, eight years. So um, um, what inspired me to join was looking, I was, I'd been running a, a division of a company called CSR, who uh, big in uh, Bluetooth and wireless connectivity. And um, we'd just gone through the process of selling the business to Qualcomm. But I was looking for a company where I could have some impact on the world, where I felt there was exciting things happening. And um, arm down the road, you know, there were some really inspiring leaders there and the vision they had for the future sounded fascinating. And so, um, uh, you know, I remember uh, coming in for my interview and having a lunch with the group and thinking these are definitely the kind of people I want to work with. And, and I can see that they're having real impact in the world that, that looks really exciting. So that was what drew me in. I know you would enjoy doing technology projects with your son. And when we talked before, you've mentioned your exciting work with Unity, your enthusiasm for geocaching, and some of your projects involving the Raspberry Pi and Arduino. It seems that your job lets you bring all of those things together. What do you love most about the job? Oh, the job itself, I, I think it is that perspective of the breadth of the impact of the technology. I mean, um, we're, we're so fortunate that we get to partner with these really influential businesses in the world. and we get to see how our technology can you know play a part in you know impacting those businesses and enhancing those businesses and all of that comes into real things that we can um sort of frankly it's the kind of thing you can show to your kids or to your mum you can point at things and go hey look this is what that technology is doing and and this is what is under the hood that's making it possible and you know that is that is always a, a joy to be able to sort of point to that around something you're contributing to that's that's a real pleasure paul you've been leading the client line of business for a while and helping drive a lot of fascinating innovation in recent years so what's the latest from your team yeah, it's an um, exciting time for the team at the moment. We've been um, on this journey with total compute solutions towards building better performance targeted around sort of the full experience of the uh, compute device in the client use cases, everything from smart thrones through to AR, VR of the future. But this year we're bringing that together in a, a new and exciting way around what we're seeing as the evolution of the visual experience, the move to more and more 3D content and that you know being partly about gaming but moving beyond that into new exciting areas and you know we've just this week had a a launch of uh, you know I suppose uncovering some of that new technology that sort of sets that path and so a uh, really exciting time in the team to be able to share with the world a bit more of what we've been playing at and uh, what that might do for for the future that all users will will experience. 
So I'd like to switch gears now and talk a bit about the announcement that you just had and talk about, first of all, uh, why did you develop uh, that particular solution and, and also maybe what kind of difference it's going to make to ARM's partner ecosystem. As part of the launch, I was really fortunate to get to talk to John Romero, um, you know, legendary game developer and founder of ID um, Games behind Doom and so on. In that discussion, it really sort of emphasized that what we had in mind is, you know, is very real. Um, and that is the challenge to create compelling 3D experiences. And, you know, John lived that through the launch of the first 3D games. And, and as he articulated really clearly, in the early days, that was really hard. It was really tough for developers, really difficult. It was something they had to sort of engineer from scratch to be able to create something that felt 3D before they could finally in Quake create something where you really could look around and navigate a 3D space. I feel like in the world of mobile devices and smartphones specifically, 3D content you know, has seemed a little niche somewhat. You know, It has been 3D game content and there are some really good 3D games out there. But it's been a sort of journey that is sort of emerging just now around that transitioning to the way we interact with a lot of more of the experiences we have with our smartphones. So we're really starting to see Google Maps, for example, or Apple Maps being able to sort of hold up and look at the world around you and have things overlaid on that in 3D with real lighting effects so they look tangible. The possibility of bringing that kind of experience into more and more applications is very real, but it requires some very different underlying technology that's going to make that possible. And this year's release is really about that. It's about making those 3D visuals um, accessible to developers and the capabilities in the hardware present on way more of the devices that we're going to be using every day. So that can become a reality. And as you're doing that thinking uh, about how you bring that to life, what technology trends uh, do you consider uh, with the new total compute solutions? You mentioned the ecosystem and working with our ecosystem is really important. And we, we balance two things. Uh, one is sort of what are those developers, what are those ecosystem players like the game engine companies, like the operating system vendors? What are they trying to achieve with their products? What experiences do they want to bring to the user? But at the same time, because we're having to look forward plus three years sometimes in our, our technology when we're designing or formulating what its capabilities will be, we also have to look at you know, a bit of crystal ball gazing to some extent of where do we think these trends are going? And um, you know, that is where we were able to sort of, I suppose, join the dots by having this broad ecosystem. There are so many people developing now for ARM and writing uh, and creating applications on ARM that we have the luxury of being able to draw from the insights of that broader community and work out what does that really mean for what's going to be needed in two or three years. Now, some of it's a prediction and some of it's ahead of its time. You know, bringing hardware ray tracing to a mobile device as we are doing with Immortalis this year is something that people will have looked at and thought, you know, is this really the right time? Um, but what we are seeing is data points and trends that show that the path to really doing these immersive augmented reality things with true lighting um, is going to need that kind of capability in the hardware. And when you add that to people, you know, over half the uh, gaming market globally being consumed on mobile devices, 
the idea that 3D content was just for a big console is is long since past. So, you know, bringing those two themes together, you can see that now is absolutely the right time for us to equip the next generation of these devices with much greater three-dimensional um, rendering performance and richer visuals with things like ray tracing and variable rate shading that just makes that sustainable for the long battery life of the device. Now let's talk a bit more specifically about Immortalis. So you were talking about the future and there's nothing more future facing than a name like Immortalis. (laughs) So what's the thinking behind launching uh, this flagship GPU now? And and, uh, you were talking about technology trends. Well, what technology trends are you thinking about and targeting uh, with Immortalis? It really comes to that theme of that gaming and the future of augmented reality where we are needing to meet a promise to the consumer. Something that says that if you use this technology, you can expect that it will give you the best Android experience for three-dimensional visuals. And that is what Immortalis is about. Um, In the past, we've uh, had a very scalable GPU design in the form of Mali that can scale from very small things and still can today, you know, from a, a small smartwatch through to a big screen DTV. But um, actually being able to set the promise of this has got the best features, this has the highest sort of commitment to putting the right system resources in place to make sure you can go that extra mile and play longer and have a you know, fully featured visual experience, that is what Immortalis is about. And now seems to be the right time because we are seeing this uptick in 3D gaming. And I, I see it again, we come back to my kids, you know, you're always looking to your kids for the future. And, um, you know, I see them playing rich 3D gaming content on their mobile phones. Um, and they expect to be able to take it with them anywhere they go, much to my frustration sometimes in the car, at the dinner table, wherever we don't want it. But th- this is the reality of, of gaming today is um, we are seeing AAA gaming titles, um, things like even Call of Duty coming down onto mobile as a platform, um, which previously might have been the reserve of, of the console market. And there are a number of sort of drivers for that. But whatever those drivers are, the underlying technology needs to be ready. So now is the right time to deliver something that meets that promise and, and has that bold name of Immortalis. We're, we are we are giving you that immortal experience in the game to play for longer. Well, you, you know, you, you talk about um, that kind of commitment. And you're also reminding me of like when, when my twin boys were 10 years old, uh, they were wanting to play their, their games all of the time and they didn't work all of the time. And uh, I would challenge anyone who ever wants to get into tech support to provide tech support for very demanding 10 year old boys. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. The user expectations now are huge. You know, you, you can't have glitches, you can't have downtime, you can't have devices uh, running out of battery life. There is an expectation that they, they are going to keep going and they're going to keep meeting that uh, performance. And, and I think, you know, true for kids, but true for adults. I find myself, you know, um, recently I've been almost all the way around the world um, to as COVID has sort of lifted and we've had the opportunity to visit our customers and my reliance on my mobile device stepping off a, a plane in, in, in Seoul in Korea and navigating the city uh, when I wanted to leave the hotel you know being able to lift the phone look around use the camera and the maps and you know do that 3D viewing um, you know needs that battery life to continue and 
you know, you then need it for payment now. You know, contactless payments becoming more common. People are reliant on this thing. You can't afford for it to sort of switch off halfway through your day or have a glitch. So sustained performance and long battery life with these new experiences is really critical. I think that brings the discussion back to um, more broadly talking about consumer technology. Tell me about the journey uh, for consumer technology to become such a big market for ARM. And I, because I know ARM's heritage is in mobile. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And the mobile device and our, our smartphones remains hugely influential in all of these markets. And I, I think in the start, ARM was the right solution because primarily of the power efficiency of the technology that provided compute for mobile. And also the business model we had to partner with multiple providers when the market was forming in mobile and then later in smartphone. What has really spun out from there is now the biggest software developer ecosystem in the world. People are targeting ARM for all of their development. They're building richer and more complex tools and coding at a higher and more abstracted layer year by year. And that means if you're trying to create something new like, like augmented reality or virtual reality experiences, you need to bring those developers and those assets through to this new world. And therefore, you have that sort of, that is what we sort of define in total compute around developer access. It's being able to bring that skill set, those tools, those, that broad ecosystem that goes with it into these new worlds. So, you know, where we're looking at, say, taking 3D experiences in smartphone, if you're also going to deliver 3D content, let's say we want to make it possible for people to sit at home and get a 3D immersive experience of being at a, a concert on the big screen in their living room, just as much as they're, when they're looking into their smartphone or maybe in VR headsets in the future, you, know, you wouldn't go and cut this link and go and start from scratch somewhere else. You're gonna to wanna to bring all those rich 3D assets, those developer tools. You're gonna to wanna be able to take, I don't know, a game content creation house and bring them into an events, um, sort of live events theater and have them deploy all of their assets in the same world. And so for us, it's about building the sort of developer ecosystem ever further. And that's why it has such relevance across all of the consumer devices we have today is that I suppose on, on two fronts. One, it allows, you know, far, from, a, from the business side, faster time to market for these new, new experiences, you know, economies of scale and, and the ability to reuse um, all of those learnings, which, which economically makes sense. But I think also from the creative side of this, the people who are thinking up these ideas and experiences, they have this opportunity to imagine what that can be like. Just look at things like the atmosphere you can create in cinematic experience today and think about how that can be if it you want to bring it across these multiple formats from your big screen to your small screen to your headset um, you know you're going to want to be able to transport all of that creative content however you have developed it and created it across those platforms and that's what we're about we're about enabling those ecosystem partners to to make that possible for creators as well so you're talking a lot about what people are doing right now, and, and that's really exciting, and all, all the work that uh, those partners are doing. Um, but where do you see it heading in the future? What are the big technology trends or potential disruptors that we should be watching out for? That's a, uh, that's a tricky one. I think the, you know, always predicting the future is a dangerous game, and um, I am still waiting for my hoverboard um, to replace my skateboard. But uh, I equally see you know 
there are many things that have sort of been predicted that have come surprisingly close to reality. And um, I think the, you know, while the path to AR and VR will be bumpy, right? There's the, the early traction is in sort of conventional gaming. If I wind back to the sort of John Romero discussion of the early days of you know, Wolfenstein and then through into Doom of how do you progress this technology and make it engaging? It, it is finding individual experiences that create some level of joy for people that you can then enhance and, and build up that sort of ecosystem and that capability. And I think, you know, the, the overlaying the real world around us with either pass through VR or augmented reality is going to happen. And um, it's, it, it is very real. Um, it certainly looks really clunky today. And I think that was exemplified recently. Um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg recently took Twitter and showed off the four different headset prototypes he had, all of which had different hardware, each bit of hardware solving a different problem um, that is needed to be solved to make this real. And the progress to solving them all in one in something that's incredibly lightweight and comfortable is a long path. Let's, let's not kid ourselves. but. Equally, I can look back and say it, it really, in a, some ways, doesn't take that long when you look backwards. So projecting forwards, we've got to have a similar sort of mindset, um, you know, moving from those early 3D games to stuff that we see today that frankly is scarily real when you put a headset on um, was not that big a leap. And, and 3D navigation within a virtual world became frankly seamless to an entire generation. So. Um, in in a matter of you know less than ten years, and I think you know looking forward we will see that clunky bumpy path to something that is seamless and people really enjoy and, and find excitement from. Um, but it, it's it's going to be hard work for all of us. Uh, no, certainly arm a, a big part of that. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's funny when you talk about looking back. I remember playing Wolfenstein like in the early '80s, and what we see today. I mean, you know, Doom was such a huge advance, uh, and and you look at where we're at today, and that that just seems almost prehistoric. So that there's. Uh, lots of opportunity for development and and looks like lots of opportunity for arm so maybe you tell me a bit about how you see arm uh, growing more from here uh, particularly in in this market yeah growth for arms exciting i mean we because of our exposure to so much of this we have that unique opportunity to support these new business ideas and these new use cases as they grow and um you know growth from happens in many different ways some of it is technological growth, you know, new new problems to solve, new interesting challenges. Um, but also, um, and that, that creates huge opportunity for our teams as well, which is always exciting to us. I think in terms of value growth for ARM, you know, us becoming a greater part of those solutions and, and actually the more we can make these capabilities accessible to developers, um, the the more we bring value to the system as a whole and our proportion of the value of that overall system increases so uh, you know we already have very high market share um let's be clear but i think in the future the importance of our technology is is getting stronger um things like machine learning performance um we're able to bring that to developers um, very quickly by deploying it through our, our CPUs and GPUs today, which mean that they can deploy use cases and applications that we can't yet imagine that are going to be really impactful. And therefore, ARM is a key ingredient to enabling that increased value in their services. And 
you know, our business model is built on shared success. When, when our partners are able to create more value to consumers, uh, we get a share of that, even at a very small level, and that is how we we grow. And um, I think the uh, the experiences and the um, shape of those consumer experiences is getting to ever wider audiences, which is always good for us. And also, those experiences are getting more and more creative and more and more part of our life. So, um, you know, that that's how I see our primary angle for growth. What excites you most about the future of technology? Uh, I think I think it is seeing seeing the sort of the moments of joy in, in in people's faces when they're experiencing these new things for the first time i you know, come back to my robot lawnmower you know i know it's not a client device but genuinely um huge smile on my face when i watched it curiously skirting around the edge of my lawn uh, you know it seems a very trivial thing and it is but um you know equally uh you know helping um sort of my family set themselves up with um, you know, really simple things like just using their phones to access services and, um, you know, uh, whether it be uh, yeah, checking into flights or p mobile payment, you know, those sort of little moments of magic and wonder of, wow, I can do that. And the way devices have helped us through COVID, you know, I, I entered Korea recently, as I said, um, with a fully digital passport for COVID on my smartphone, which allowed me to navigate freely in the country. You know, it, it's, it is wonderful and it, it creates that moment of joy when this stuff works for us and enables us to do new things and um that is what what i think is exciting about the future is we're seeing more of those evolve more quickly than ever before and, and i think that's going to accelerate as you kind of look back on all of this and how things have gone forward um if you could say something uh, about this tech journey to your younger self. So you go back to, to uh, young Paul working with uh, his acorn Adam um, and, and just, just starting to dabble with technology. What would you say to, to your younger self? I think I would say, hold on to that curiosity. Um, I think the world around us can, you know, bring pressures to bear that mean we at times lose the the perspective of that joy and, and that sounds a very down thing to finish on but you know i think the inverse is true if we can hold on to that childhood curiosity and fun and excitement and that that you see them experience in the world and and try and hold on to that as we as we grow in 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 the world i think that is the thing that i would encourage myself to hold on to because um it's the thing that fuels me today and you know getting back to that um uh, that curiosity and that creativity is is the greatest source of joy for me. And and what would you want to hear from your younger self? Uh, oh, that's an interesting one. I think uh, I think my younger self would look at this and go, I can't believe you're you're doing all this stuff. Um, you know, I think it would ground me in the privilege I have because, um, and I, I get that a little bit from my kids. You know, I come back from meeting technology leaders or interacting with people and you know for me it's a day job to go and talk to some of the most impactful people in the technology world um, and that are impacting the products that are in the hands of my family and my friends and that is something that you know I have to not take for granted it's really cool and I'm, I'm very privileged to be able to do it yeah it is cool well, thanks, Paul, for what I'm going to think of as our first time travel episode, where we took a trip to the past and we heard from young Paul, where we learned about the exciting news that's happening right now about Arm Immortalis, 
and what it will bring in the future. And speaking of the future, we look forward to bringing you more news in the next episode of Arm Viewpoints and look forward to connecting with you all again soon. Thanks for listening today.